The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by Alumni Ventures. Invest with confidence. Discover the power of venture investing with Alumni Ventures, America's largest venture firm for individual investors. Learn more at av.vc. LinkedIn News. Hi, I'm Dan Roth, LinkedIn's Editor-in-Chief. Welcome to This is Working, the podcast, where my colleague Nina Melendez and I discuss a conversation I had on my video series, This is Working. Nina and I take that conversation, we dissect it, and we extract our top takeaways for you, the listener. Today, we're talking about barriers to entry in higher education. We're talking about the importance of ambition, and we are also talking about the role parents sometimes play in destroying their children's dreams. And we are doing all of that with the iconic filmmaker, Spike Lee. Hey, Nina. Dan, do you have a favorite Spike Lee movie? This is probably cheating, but it's got to be Do the Right Thing. I mean, Hmm. to me, iconic movie, so amazing. My oldest son watched it for school last year, and it was so great seeing it through his eyes, still fresh, still applicable. I mean, sort of, I should say, maybe sadly still fresh and sadly still applicable, but just a great, powerful movie with amazing, iconic performances. So that's one of my favorite movies of all time. That's of definitely all the time? Top. Absolutely, yeah. So were you just so happy to speak with Spike Lee? I mean, it was a great opportunity to speak to him. Wow. Absolutely. Wow. What about you? What's your favorite? I really... Uh, enjoyed Inside Man. Huh. Yeah. Have you seen that one? Can't remember. It's the bank heist. No. It has Denzel Washington and Clive Owen. No, I'll have to see it. Yeah, you should check it out. You know, Spike has an amazing filmography. At the time of this recording, nearly two dozen movies. And we know that there are several in production on the way. He was born and raised in Brooklyn. Go Brooklyn. Ardent supporter of the New York Knicks. Notoriously so. (laughs) And this I didn't know, actually. Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X, Four Little Girls and She's Gotta Have It were each selected by the Library of Congress for preservation in the National Film Registry for being, quote, culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. My local museum right now, the Brooklyn Museum, is doing a big exhibit just on the art and films of Spike Lee. So he's being recognized in really massive ways. Wow. Yeah, it's cool. We might not have the full scope of Spike Lee art if it were not for NYU. They were the only film school that accepted him in spite of his very poor test scores. And it's a testament to how talent can live outside of these traditional uh, methods of measuring talent. Yeah, but also NYU, I didn't know this. I was looking at the LinkedIn data. NYU produces the third highest number of people in the film industry. Interesting. So it's UCLA, USC, and then NYU. Hmm. So coasts are dominating in that area, and Spike is out teaching the next generation. NYU is my alma mater. That's where I went to grad school. Yeah. You know, he talks about getting over these sort of traditional barriers of entry, and I thought it was pretty fascinating. Let's take a listen. Queen the crop cannot just be told by what your grade point averages. I'll give you an example. When I graduated Morris College, I knew I wanted to go to film school. So I did my research and applied to three film schools, AFI, American Film Institute, and USC. The children, anyway, and and NYU, graduate film school. Yep. These are the top three. To get into USC and AFI, one must get an astronomical score in a GRE. Mm-hmm. Sterilized test. I did not get the astronomical score on my GRE. I did not get accepted to USC and AFI. 
Thank God for NYU Graduate Film School, where Ang Lee and Ernest Dix were my classmates, and Jim Drummer two years ahead of me. NYU understood that standardized tests should not be to vary whether you can get to a film school. Yep. So all you had to do is submit your creative portfolio. And I sent in some, I submitted photographs my right. I got in. There's something so beautiful in any story. I love leader stories where they talk about someone picking them out of a crowd or giving them an opening they wouldn't have had otherwise. As soon as he said NYU took a chance on me, it's like, that's awesome to hear about places that take a chance. But those stories are always so uh, interesting to hear because they're so rare. Mm. It is one school or one person taking a chance on one other person. And it just is very clearly unfair. And it means that we are leaving people with great talent away from being able to do anything with that talent. Mm. Do you think more schools, should they just, should we just open the doors to let more people in? That is such a good question. Because you're right, this way of sifting talent is just horrible. We leave, it's really, we're, we're measuring people on how well they can take tests, right? But at the same time, there needs to be certain barriers. Otherwise, everyone gets in. There's not unlimited resources. There's I not, think, yeah. right. You know, Gerald Chertavian, the founder of Europe, I thought really went into this. I think he said the best vision for how to deal with this matching problem. And if you go back and listen to the episode with Gerald where he's talking about how he created Europe, his idea was that it wasn't enough to just get colleges to accept more people. He was going to take colleges out of the equation altogether. Right. His idea was we all have skills. Those skills are useful for businesses. Businesses shouldn't have to go and make sure that you got a diploma. They should just say, you have some percent of the skills I need, no matter where you come from or where you live now, and I'm going to bring you in and I'll teach you the rest of the skills I need. And suddenly this matching happens at a much greater scale. Right. So I love Spike's story. I wish we didn't have to have stories like this. Yeah. I actually want to take back what I said. Okay. Okay. So I do think that the traditional barriers of entry do need to be dismantled because they're not based in equity and they're not based in fairness. But I do think that there should be some barriers to entry, because like you said, there's not an unlimited amount of resources. Well, I mean, just to be realistic, there have to be some barriers. Right. Is the reality of it. But there should be more entry points too. Every company can't hire every single person. Every school can't accept every applicant. And just that's the way things work. But if there are more opportunities, if there are more paths then everyone is better off. And I think that if you can get to a point and even what Spike is doing by trying to teach the next generation and share everywhere he can how he looks at the world and it's, you know, teaching master classes and giving advice and being on social media and just trying to share constantly, it is sort of trying to build those skills into the next world. On the other hand, he is sitting at NYU. You do have to get an NYU to actually sit down with him. Right. So he's part of the institution. But I think that the truth is that if you look at uh, where film and the entertainment industry is now, there's never been more access yeah. to the tools that you need to be able to go out and create your own amazing content. Yeah. And platforms that you can show all this amazing content. Exactly. Yeah. So I have a question for you. Yeah. You know, as one generation gets older... Ideally, things get easier for the other generation coming behind them. There can be a little bit of resentment to that, where the older generation can look back and be like, wait, I had to take the GREs. And okay, that's the GREs, but I can think more specifically to work. Yeah. When I came up in journalism, it was very cutthroat, and it was not, you're not treated with kid gloves, and you're not handheld. And we were paid horribly. And sometimes I see... <laughs> 
the, the kids these days, I'm like, you guys have no idea how good you have it. How does Nina not get resentful? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't agree with your premise, so I'm not okay. sure if I can argue that side because I think things have only gotten harder for everybody. I think that getting into school is more difficult, even without the SATs, even with these schools being test optional. Kids are being asked to craft a story about how they see the world and are competing with the entire world at this point. I mean, this is very different. At least when I went to school, it was like there was a much smaller population. People went to more regional schools, and now that's kind of not the case. Everyone can apply to anywhere. And you have to start thinking about that when you're a freshman in high school, and you have to start always figuring out what your identity looks like. I don't think that was true, at least in my generation. I know that wasn't true. I was just talking to a friend recently who was laughing about the fact that he wrote his college application in pencil. So that was, was just a very different time. And I think that getting a job is much harder. I think there are fewer good jobs that are sustainable. I don't think that we as a country have developed the kind of apprenticeship programs that are required to help people get that first foot on the ladder. Other countries are much better than the U.S. is at this. And so I think it's really hard. I mean, and I see like the applications, at least for jobs that when I have them open, the quality of the applicants mm. are insane. It, mm. I feel horrible going through them trying to make a decision because the competition is amazing. So you're seeing, as far as applications for jobs, you're seeing higher quality candidates Absolutely. than before. Absolutely. So the competition is get, only getting worse. Competition's only getting harder. Wow. Well, speaking of that, you know, you talked about how notoriously difficult Hollywood and that whole industry is to get into. Yeah, you asked him for his advice on what people who are trying to get in can do, and here's what he had to say. It's really trite sometimes when you get a great question like that and make it just like, just do this. A lot of stuff depends upon people's circumstances. Yeah. And, but I found that the people successful are the people who have that drive. The people who are like from bed do or die. Right. Like, this is, I'm going to do what it takes without doing any criminal acts. I'm going to do what it takes and get in this MFO. Yeah. Like, there is no option. I'm going to make this happen. And you have to understand that one of the biggest lies that's ever been told is that one could become an overnight success. Mm -hmm. Of all the people trying to get in this little hole, God has, God has come down from the heavens and anointed you as the MFO, the one, the bomb. A three-letter word. Nah. <laughs> nah. Nah. That ain't happen. Dan, what do you think about Spike's thesis that drive is the main reason you'll succeed over your peers? I don't know if that's the way you succeed, but I certainly know that without drive, you can't succeed. I don't know if that is the secret to being successful, but I would say you can't be successful without it. So otherwise, especially in something like Hollywood, where you might have to spend years, decades trying to break in. If you don't have that drive, you're going to give up so early and just decide this is not meant for me. And you always hear those stories, and these maybe are all outdated, you know, people who are like, I was one day away from moving out of Hollywood because I was out of money, and then I got the call, and now I'm a famous actor. But the ones who stick with it and just keep grinding seem to be the ones who make it. I think that's probably true for any profession. Mm -hmm. There are ups and downs, and you have to just have that grit and keep going through ups and downs and keep working at it. And eventually you'll either get where you want to be 
or you will know that you did not leave anything untried. Mm. You know, and I think there's something to that. Yeah, I feel like so much of it is just a game of persistence. What's the difference between drive and grit? I would say drive is more just being single-mindedly focused on getting something, and grit is being able to survive really hard times, too. Yeah, yeah. I think you need to have both, and certainly for certain very competitive industries, you should have both. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't feel like maybe you can really coast anymore. I think that, I don't know, maybe I'm too influenced by watching Hollywood movies, but, you know, like in the Mad Men days, I feel like people were just coast by their pedigrees. They could get into a job, and they could work a steady nine to five and, and get out. But I don't think you can do that anymore. I think you can, you can still coast. You can still do that? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's why I think that it's easier for a younger generation. Got it. Because I feel like I see people coasting and I'm like, that would never have, that would not have flown in my world when right. I was getting, getting up. <laughs> getting up. Yeah. So this is the difference is that you actually see the world as it is. And I live in this idealized version of how I expect <laughs> everyone to be living in the business world. So um, You might be right. So once you've achieved success, how do you maintain that drive? How do you not get complacent? Well, I think Spike put it well of, you know, you got to embrace that bedsty, do or die. Mm-hmm. You have to, that has to be part of your personality is that mm-hmm. you never stop. Just going back to this idea of having more competition and more people out there and, and companies asking for you to do more with less. Mm-hmm. I think without the drive, without the grit, without being always committed to doing more and doing better, I just don't know how you stay in your job and how you stay competitive. I think yeah. that maybe you're right, you can coast, but I don't think you can coast for that long. I think that when tough times come for companies or in the economy, it is very easy to spot the coasters. You know, this makes me think of Total Wolf, who said that on his computer he had, you know, three people who could come in and take his job. And I think that is an incredible way to not get complacent. My God, that guy. Yeah. That's just a whole other level. Yeah. I mean, what the way Total Wolf runs, there's a difference between saying, I am going to go, I'm going to get this job, and Total Wolf, which is like, there are people nipping at my heels, yeah. and if I don't keep running, they are going to catch up to me. So that's, I can't imagine living like that. I prefer Spike's idea of like, there's a place for me, and I'm yeah. going to get this, yeah. and I'm just going to, it's all on me, and I'm going to do this, versus people are out to get me. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, more on my conversation with Spike Lee. I'm Jesse Hempel, host of Hello Monday. In my 20s, I knew what I wanted for my career. But from where I am now, in the middle of my life, nothing feels as certain. Work's changing, we're changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of any of it. So every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. We talk about making career pivots, about purpose and how to discern it, about where happiness fits into the mix and how to ask for more money. Come join us in the Hello Monday community. Let's figure out the future together. Listen to Hello Monday with Jesse Hempel wherever you get your podcasts. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors, I'm Lars Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. And we're back. 
In our last episode, we had Kristalina Georgieva on from the IMF who talked about never letting people hijack your dreams. And she was really clear-eyed about exactly what she wanted to do and how quickly she was willing to jump on any opportunity that came her way. It was very much on her. Spike talked about it a little bit differently. He talked about the role that someone else can have in destroying your dreams, in particular your parents. So let's hear what he has to say. Parents can kill their children's dreams more than anybody. And I'm talking specifically about arts. Mm -hmm. Parents want the best for their children. Support themselves, get them up, get them up house like that. And the arts is so mysterious. I mean, you want to be a doctor, we know what the path. Want to be a doctor, go, you know, doctor, lawyer, you know the path. But parents understand this magical, mystical thing in the arts. They don't understand how their child is going to be a poet. I mean, make a living That's right. being a poet, a painter, a filmmaker, a, an artist, a musician. They don't understand it because it's not just one A, B, C, D, boom. And in their ignorance, not hatred, but ignorance of understanding that, when their children finally get enough courage to tell them in cases where they're in college that, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not going to major, I'm not going to major in law business. And then the major that, well, you know what you're going to major, you always say psychology. Right. But I want to be, I'm going to study to be a painter, singer, a writer, a filmmaker. They're like, hell no. Dan, I thought about this actually quite a bit after our conversation regarding Kristalina and this idea of people hijacking your dreams. And I think I've come to the conclusion that hijacking can only happen if you have a very clear goal in mind. But otherwise, I think that hi- this, you know, this term of hijacking can actually provide opportunities. So Kristalina, for example, didn't know she wanted to be a f- um, the director or the managing director of the IMF. She, that was not her goal when she studied economics. But the fact that the prime minister called her in the middle of the night and said, hey, do you want to do this thing? And that led to another thing and led to another thing. That really ended up providing lots of opportunities for her. And it could also be something about with parents. Like if a parent says, hey, I don't think you're really good at this. Should you try something else? That could also be an opportunity versus a hijack. Yeah, I think that where Spike is, you're right. If you don't know what it is that you want to do, there's no hijack. And you can't hijack some uh, a vehicle that doesn't actually have a destination. Right. Maybe you can. But well, this is yeah. in, in this case, this is not, it doesn't work that way. But I think what Spike is really getting at is when someone does have a dream, a parent has a unique ability to derail that dream. Yeah. I mean, and you can derail it a couple ways. You can derail it by poo-pooing it. You yeah. can derail it by saying, I'm not going to fund your dreams. Yeah. And I think that in either of those cases, the parent I'd like to think that the parent usually is acting in the best interest yeah. of the kid. You yeah. really want what's best for your kid. And I think that it can be, I'm speaking from experience here, it can be really hard not to say to a child, what you're talking about is not a job right. that, is, that, is, that exists or that is going to be easy to get, or you're putting yourself on a really hard path when there's this other path that you'd be great at. Yeah, that you will be provide. a doctor, that will provide, yeah. exactly. 
And it's so hard as a yeah. parent not to do that because you really want the best in your kids and you want it. You've seen how business works and right. how careers work and not getting in there and saying like, uh, yeah, particularly so. if you came from, if you had parents that came from want and they want to spare their child that, Yeah, you know, and I loved how Spike was talking about with something with the arts is like, how do you ex- talk about making money as a poet? You know, like it's so nebulous. The arts is so nebulous. How do you tell your child like, yes, go into this very difficult and also incredibly competitive arena and uh, and not try and hold them back from the potential heartache of it? I think it's so hard. And and the other part is in, in the U.S., you're also spending an enormous amount of money to do this. Yeah. So not only are you. You know, it's one thing to be like, all right, well, go and follow your dreams. But the other part is and we're going to go into severe debt for you to follow your dreams. And I think that swallowing of both the economic costs and of where you think things are going, it's just hard for parents. Um, But Spike's point is a good one, which is like, you have no idea. You think that you know where something is going to lead, but you have no idea. And someone can start as a poet and they can become an entrepreneur. Mm. But if you say to them, you have to be a lawyer, they're not going to ever go on that path. They're going to be resentful. Yeah. They're going to always feel like, what did I leave behind? And I think this idea of just letting someone discover, I mean, it goes back to this kind of question of grit. If you have, a, if you can instill grit, if you are someone who has grit either instilled in you or you're born with it, I don't know how one gets grit, but then you're okay becoming a poet because either you're going to grind it out or you're going to say, well, I've learned and I'm going to go do something else. And I think as a parent, often you want your kids to just have, you want to clear the path for them. Mm. You want to be like, this is a much better, this is this is going to be so much better. You're going to be happier, mm-hmm. less mental health problems. You're going to make money. Mm-hmm. Trust me on this. But, you know, sometimes you just got to be like, all right, we're going to, I trust you. I'm going to back you and go do your thing. I heard this thing once that I thought was really wise. It was, you don't prepare the path for the child. You prepare the child for the path. Oh, yeah, that's good. Yeah. So if your kid wants to be a poet, then you got to prepare your kid to deal with rejection and to have motivation and drive and grit and talent and skill. Yeah. What about people leaders? How do you suppose people leaders can hijack or derail someone's dreams? It's a little bit different, I think, because you are, as a manager, you're thinking about like what is needed from the company and what is needed for my team and how do we achieve what it is that we're trying to achieve. And then you start slotting people into that. Mm. This person is able to do that. So as a manager, you're kind of in charge of the company's dreams. Mm. And then you got to find people to be able to help fulfill that. But you're also working with real people and you care about the people who work for you and you're trying to give them, you know, good advice. And I'd like to think that a good manager would say, this is the path the company is on. This is this is the dream we are trying to achieve as a company. Mm-hmm. It might not align with your dream. And mm-hmm. you have to decide whether if you want to chase your dreams, go chase your dreams. This is mm-hmm. the wrong place. And I think when people do that, and I've seen one person in particular who left this team and went on to go chase her dream. She had something that she wanted to do, go into Broadway in this case, and she left and she's having this incredible run. It would have been a tragedy mm-hmm. for her to not have ever had that chance to mm-hmm. go do it. So I think great things could happen. Who knows? Like, does it going to work? Is it not going to work? But to, but you don't want to, in the end, say, like, I didn't get a chance to do what I wanted to do. You know what I would love is data on how many people's current careers are the result of not chasing your dream or making decisions out of fear. That's a great one. Yeah. Let's do this. I'll tell you what, anyone listening to this, if you can come on, share with us, what was your dream job or dream profession? Are you doing it? 
If you're not doing it, how does it feel to make that kind of a shift? Would love to hear your stories about bridging the dream with the reality. You can share it on LinkedIn using the hashtag thisisworking. And please share this podcast episode with a friend and review it. It helps new listeners find us. This is Working is a LinkedIn editorial production. Our production team includes Sarah Storm, Stephen Valdivia, Asaf Gidron, Taisha Henry, Andres Cordona, and Lolia Briggs. Joe DeGiorgi mixes our show. Enrique Montalvo is our executive producer. Dave Pond is head of news production. Our head of original programming is Courtney Coop. I'm Nina Melendez, senior producer. And I'm Dan Roth, LinkedIn's editor-in-chief. Be well and stay curious. 